Uh, this is Luke 19, chapter or verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is where the Lord, you guys can be seated. Uh, good morning. Uh, I do want to dismiss our school-age kids to the back. And we are going to be in Luke 19, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Talking about the wee little man. Uh, we're in the midst of this series entitled uh, Above and Beyond. And uh, what a, and that's kind of birthed out of Ephesians 3.20 where Paul talks about how God can do above and beyond what we can imagine in our lives. And I was talking with uh, my friends Rachel and Kirsten this morning, right before the service started, and they've been praying for this prayer request um, for, for months, and they told me that last night God answered that prayer and there was breakthrough in relationship because our God is an above and beyond God. He meets the little needs, he meets the big needs. Our God is an above and beyond God. Amen? Whew. Man, um, I will tell you, um, I've been preaching for a while now, and this might be the most excited I've ever been to preach. So that could be good or bad. And so that's right. Um, it's okay for us to be excited, friends. It's okay for us to cheer, to scream, to cry, because the chains have been removed. He set the captives free. And guess what? Here's the good news. Formerly, you were a captive, but now in Christ, you are free. And we have freedom. And so we have freedom to, to laugh to sing. Thank you for our worship team. Our tech team back there too. Man, all this takes work, guys. So let's give them a hand, those people in the back. Man, Michael and Layton and Christian, they work all the time with all the problems. And so they are um, a blessing to our body. I've got to start getting to my stuff. Um, we're in the midst of above and beyond. And um, last year we started this initiative with the hope for 100% that we'd all be in this together, in this hope to build a facility that would be really a hub for ministry, a hub to send out planters, a hub to provide care for those that are hurting, a hub for the people of God that we call our little church home. And we prayed for, for us all to be all in and to raise half a million dollars. But here's what's crazy in the midst of this we saw God do much more than the plans that we had for God. Does that make sense? 
we had these thoughts and, you know, we spent, we did whiteboards. We love a whiteboard around here. We did whiteboards and we did Google Docs, all this stuff. Like, well, if we do this and do this and say this and God, but God did so much more. And I'm going to just kind of share with you behind the scenes thing of the two things that I saw God do this past year that has kind of been above and beyond. The first, God has made us a way more generous people than I could have ever imagined. The fact that our little faith family has raised that amount of money has blown me away. And I know the stories of sacrifice, of selling stuff, of pulling out savings to give towards God's kingdom. And that generosity has blown my mind. And the second thing is going to sound very strange, so just bear with me is I have seen um, in this past year more deliverance from sexual sin than I ever have in 20 years of ministry. That we thought God was gonna do this and God is doing this whole other thing. And I will tell you a preaching tip. If you want the room quiet, talk about sexual sin and money. <laughs> and the room gets like, oh Lord, where are we going today? Well, in love, we are going to money today, friends. Um, there is some kind of correlation between our wallets and our hearts. There, there just is. I can't explain it. It's true in my life as well as your life. And as we open our hands in generosity, there's something we receive as far as obedience and faith. And here's what it really is, freedom that is unexplainable. And the reason that generosity and sexual sin make us quiet is because these two things, just from my perspective and even my own life, seem to have the greatest hold on us. And I've talked to friends that have walked through sexual sin. I have walked through sexual sin myself. And there is times in the midst of that battle where it feels like it has such a hold on you. The shame is so deep that it's the only word I can think to describe, it's impossible. I'm stuck and it's impossible. I want to remind you, our God is an above and beyond God. But maybe even trickier than sexual sin is this idolatry of our treasure of our stuff, of our savings, of our money. And here's why. We're quick to call out sexual sin in the church, and we should be. It's pervasive and it destroys. But many times we are really slow to call out greed. And friends, I am with you. This is my struggle. I was sharing this with Luke and I think Brandon a few weeks ago. I love money because it provides for me two things that I probably value the most, which is comfort and security for those that I love. And that includes me. I love myself. I love that money can provide comfort for those that I love. I love that it feels like I have security from what I think is in this account. Does that make sense? Are we with me? Just me? That's fine. This could be for me today and I'm fine with that. I will talk all day long. Um, skip the parade. Sorry, Trace. I got the parade today. Uh, darn. Uh, and if I'm honest, I, I mean this. There are many days where I think more about money than I do about God. 
when the fear of what could happen? Well, what's in this? Or even like the good things. What are we going to plan to do with our money, to build this thing, to go to this place? Many times takes my imagination more than the kingdom of God. And I do not believe I'm alone in this room with that kind of thought pattern. And the truth is, and listen, yours might not be money or, or sexual sin, but I would, I would just kind of lovingly just say, I bet every person in this room has that thing that just feels impossible. And when things feel impossible, the enemy comes to work and he lies, promotes shame, hopelessness, and if we're honest, we walk around with this hopeless, impossible feeling a lot as Christians. I sense it that it's too much. It's this weight of impossible that we carry around. And we've been caught in this sin, this way of life, and we feel like we're never going to change. But hear this, we have hope today. We have hope and this is why we go to the words of God. Because hear this, in the words of God, we find the hope-filled God. And there's hope in our passage today, in Luke 19, with a wee little man that we've heard all the time. I tell you, church, I've heard this since I was a little kid, a little felt boy, the whole thing. And I was in this passage the past few weeks, and I've met with God, and I found hope in God. And today I am praying you find hope in God's word. Let's go to Luke 19. And Zacchaeus says here, he entered Jericho. He was passing through. So just real quick, I want to stop us and just, uh, Luke, not Luke Allen, wrote this chapter, a book of the Bible. And so if he did, that'd be really cool, wouldn't it? He's our pastor, wrote some of the Bible. Um, but that's not him. Sorry, Luke. Um, but he, he wrote this account um, to his friend Theophilus. And, and Luke's very detailed. He's a doctor. He's very precise. And he kind of gives you a lay of the land. And Jesus' ministry, he is headed to Jerusalem. He is headed to be the Lamb of God to pay the price for our sins. And in the midst of this journey in Luke 18 and 19, he's on his way through this place called Jericho. He's passing through. Verse 2 says this, There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector he was rich. In verse 2, we see this man, Zacchaeus. We're told he's a chief tax collector. He's a sinner. He's rich. He is rich. And both of these descriptions tell us something about his spiritual life. See, regular the regular tax collectors, not the chief, the regular guys, they were hated in Israel because they worked for the enemy. The, the Roman, they were traitors to these people. And it's very possible he got his job as chief tax collector, not by working hard, but by cheating and stealing and abusing from the poor more and more. Hear this. This was the guy that was the best at cheating the poor. And he was rich because of it. As I read this, all I can think about, my, my grandmother died a few years ago. And when they were going through her house, they found all this stuff she had bought from those TV health and wealth preachers, the holy water, the, just the things. I can't remember all the things. And I remember being so angry that my grandma had no money. 
was just spending her money, being abused by these evil health and wealth preachers, taking advantage of a senile, poor, old woman. Zacchaeus was the health and wealth guy abusing the poor in his time, and he was hated for it. He was also a traitor to his people for the Romans. So that's, that's the wee little man. The wee little man had done some very bad things. But verse 3 says this. begins to change. You see a different side of Zacchaeus. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Here's what's interesting. This is not just because he was short. As we always said, well, he was so short, he couldn't see over the crowd. No, the crowd did not want him to see Jesus. Because remember, he's the evil one. He's the traitor. He abuses the poor. He can't possibly go and meet Jesus. He's not good enough. Get back there, Zacchaeus. Verse 4, so he ran on ahead little steps. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he's going to pass that way. He knew where he was going. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. For I must stay at your house today. This is so good. So he hurried, scampered down little feet, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, Imagine the crowd seeing this, the the son of God, right? The one who healed people, who was full of God. They grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. You can see like just their noses turning up. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. In short, Jesus took this rich, greedy, lying, thieving tax collector and turned him into Santa Claus, to this man who just gave everything away. And there's a lot to unpack in this passage today, but here's the big idea. When we meet Jesus, the impossible becomes possible. When we meet Jesus, things that we never thought were possible become possible. So the wee little rich thieving man who did all this stuff to acquire all this wealth, when he meets Jesus, something changes. When we see him, when we seek him, when we find him, the impossible becomes possible. But to further understand this, we want to look at a few things about life in general and about God himself in this text. Let's go back to Luke 18, 14. I'm sorry, Luke 18, 18. It's not on the screen, so we have to go to your your Bibles or your phone. This is kind of a parallel to Zacchaeus. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus said. No one is good except God alone. Verse 20, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I have kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor. And then... 
you have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But after he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. And you see this word rich really kind of gives you this clear parallel between the rich young ruler and the rich collector and Zacchaeus. Keep going to verse 24. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This is a sobering passage for an American in 2023. And here's the point he's making. Money has a unique hold on the human heart. Money has a unique hold on the human heart. See, he's aware of how money can just move in and replace God as a savior of the heart. And it's so subtle, we don't even see it. Because the roots of our relationship with money, hear this, it's love. The roots of this, hear what I mean. Many times we associate love with things that make us feel good, that make us happy, make us comfortable, and things that provide security. And money and the devil's scheme provides both those things. It's what our money does. It purchases treasures that make us feel good and it provides security in case things happen, in case there's an accident or sickness or a job loss. We have this security, this foundation to support us. And do you see that subtle shift away from God as king to money as king? This is the story of humanity. Think about our friends in the Old Testament, right? They're delivered from slavery but they want to go back because their food and water is secure in their minds. They trust the people who had them in captivity over the God who freed them. And this is the tension for us today. Money's not bad. Stuff is not bad. God wants to provide for his kids. God wants to give his kids gifts. Those are good things. But we also must not be naive and dishonest about the place money has on our hearts. Jesus clearly shows that money has a clear path towards our hearts. So here's a few rhetorical questions, don't raise your hand, um, to help us kind of search our hearts today. What has your attention most days? Is it Jesus and his good news or is it money? What has your hope most days? Is it your savings accounts or is it God is goodness? What do you plan most days? How to spend your money and acquire more stuff? Or is it what could God do in, in the kingdom with my resources? And I pray that we're honest today. And I'll be honest, this is the one I believe has my heart the most too many times. Do you feel this? Like the economy, interest rates, inflation, job changes. $10 is not what it was two years ago, is it? And you feel this thing changing. And where I know my heart is often, it feels like my foundation is changing. And it just has a hold on my heart. And sometimes it feels impossible to break free from the chains of this world's wealth. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 26. They had the same question his followers did. Those who heard this asked, well, then who can be saved? And let's go, church. He replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. I get to preach now. Nothing is impossible with God. There's a good chance there's people in this room that have limped in and said, Jason, if you knew the things that I've done, that I'm walking through currently, the sins that are hidden, if you knew, you would never, we, it can never change. Hear this, friend. Nothing is impossible with God. If money has been your idol, your God, your focus, your hope, your greatest love for a long time, hear this, nothing is impossible with God. When others see impossibility, God sees possibility. God is always at work and God is always pursuing his children. Look again at Zacchaeus. This rich man, I call him an impossible man, right? This man could never change. Like that rich young ruler, he didn't want to sell his stuff. God knew that was the one thing that had had his heart over God, and he couldn't let it go. So Zacchaeus, he should be an impossible, hopeless case. Look at verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because today... Today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. The impossible happens through divine appointments. Just like countless other times, Jesus weaved his journey on his way to Jerusalem to go through Jericho to meet the specific person for this reason so that we could read this today in 2023 because God is always at work through these divine appointments. And I believe that you are here today through all kinds of reasons. You're invited, you go to this church, you stumbled here, whatever it might be, but God today has a divine appointment for you to hear this. Nothing is impossible with God. And life is full of these divine moments. And we're so busy and so full of other things that we miss out on these divine moments. It is so hard for me to slow down and to be present and to see all that God is doing where God's at work. And listen, the story of every Christian in this room is a story of a divine appointment of God seeing you pursuing you, saying, come to me, and then you with joy go to him. Let's keep going. He came down quickly. He welcomed God joyfully. People complained. Zacchaeus said, hey, I'm gonna give my stuff away. I'm gonna give fourfold of what I defrauded away. And then in verse nine, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. And you see this point Luke's trying to make. As he says in Luke 18, nothing is impossible with God. And here in the end of verse 19, this passage, he came to seek and to save the lost. There's nothing God cannot do. The impossible we see here brings salvation. It brings peace. It brings freedom. Because in that moment, Zacchaeus, all his sins were made clean. He was free. He was forgiven. 
The impossible brings restoration of our identity. Look here again at verse 9. He says, he too is a son of Abraham. The traitor, right, was told by the king of the Jews that he now is the son of Abraham. He is back in the family. The very things we try to use money to accomplish, peace and identity, is only truly accomplished in Christ. Hear this. The bridge from impossible to possible is the cross. The bridge to move from the impossible in your life of what you're walking through to the possible is the cross of Christ. It's at the cross that we are truly loved, church. And I know through getting stuff and pleasing those that we love, we are seeking a peace and a love that's only found at the cross. It's through his death that we receive this almost impossible forgiveness and salvation. But not just through the cross, we go to the tomb, the empty tomb, and we see the resurrection power. We receive this impossibly resurrected and new identity in life. Impossible love at the cross, impossible power in the resurrection. Nothing else in your life has the power to break the impossible. Here is the burden that we're carrying, church. We are trying to be generous. That is impossible. We are trying to be holy. That is impossible. We're trying to be loving. That is impossible. We're trying to be faithful. That is impossible. We run to the cross where impossible is made possible. Nothing else has that power. When we meet Jesus, the impossible becomes possible. But here's our issue. As we're going to move towards even closing today. How we come to Jesus is essential. Look at 1815. Verse 15 says this. People were bringing infants to him so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus, however, invited them, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Hear this, friends. Impossible is only for the childlike. Impossible is only for the childlike. And we see this in Zacchaeus' life as well. What does he do when he can't see Jesus? The most childlike thing in the world. What does he do? Climbs a tree. He climbs a tree. And here's what's even more interesting. He climbed the tree because the crowds did not want him to see Jesus. But hear this. When we come with childlike faith, childlike faith does not stop, church. I'm going to go to the parade today. And Hattie Jane at some point is not going to be able to see the parade. Guess what she's going to do? Daddy, shoulders, shoulders because she's going to do anything she can to see that thing. That's childlike faith. Too many times we have professional faith. Professional faith says this, I don't want to look stupid. I'm just going to go home today. Professional faith is very buttoned up. Professional faith is hidden. Professional faith might like good to the rest of the world, but dishonors Christ. Childlike faith is embarrassing. 
childlike faith is a grown, rich man climbing a tree to see the greatest hope in the world. Friends, the church needs more childlike faith and much less professional faith. Amen? A world of professional faith, a church of professional faith watches the world burn to the crown with indifference as long as we're okay. A church with childlike faith breaks down and cries out the one thing that we know can give hope to the world, and that's our Father. Are you tired of professional faith or is it just me? Zacchaeus is seeking a kid, seeking Jesus like a kid at Christmas. We seek him like we have an appointment for an accountant. It's just too buttoned up. You ever notice, and this comes back to money for a second. I mean, it's just me. Just me. Many of our purchases for ourselves and for our kids is because we want to produce that childlike joy that we found at Christmas and birthdays. And the enemy has just slowly and subtly, it's good to give your kids good gifts. It is. I'm not arguing against those things. But we have, I think, seek that childlike joy in lesser things. There is this beauty in just humbling ourselves and crying out in desperation that God honors. As an adult, the best way that we become childlike is by getting on our knees to him. Literally cutting our height in half, become like a child. This posture, this outward posture, I think stirs something in us internally that we're saying that we're not enough that we need something greater than ourselves, that we're simply humble children. Without a childlike posture, we're going to live in the prison of impossible our entire lives. Friends, this is why revival breaks out on college campuses right now. It's because those college students in, in Asbury and other colleges across the country now, this is happening. It's because these students do not have professional faith. They're walking in childlike faith. And just real quick, to our, our, our teenagers in the room, our students, here's, my, here's, our, here's our prayer for us. I mean, we've been praying for this for, for weeks and months, that you would lead our church to walk in childlike faith. And the, be- and the, the, the horror of a world that tries to grow up kids so quickly and ruin their innocence with sexuality and all this stuff, Children, stay young, stay innocent, stay childlike, stay embarrassing, stay goofy, worship Jesus with everything. It's the most beautiful, adult-like thing you could do. Do not look to us. We're too cynical. We need you to lead us back to our hope. Here's our pushback. Here's my pushback. I said, okay, well, I got saved, Jesus. I've cried. I cry a lot. I talk to God, and yet this weight still feels impossible. Here's a secret of living a life where impossible becomes possible. We just keep meeting with Jesus. We meet today. We meet him at three this afternoon. We meet him tomorrow. He becomes our best friend, our greatest hope. We run to him for identity, security, love, and joy. The impossible becomes possible over a lifetime of meeting with Jesus. Do not get discouraged today of where you're at. 
our God, our Father, hear this church, is infinitely more patient than we are. And our God is not going to give up on us, friends. He's not. He's going to keep loving and pursuing us into an impossible kind of faith to trust him. Do not be discouraged today. Simply do this. Meet with Jesus where you are at. Bring him everything. Bring your doubts, bring your anger, bring your questions, bring your concerns, bring your joy, your love. Bring it all to him. He is the only hope for change, friends. Nothing else works. And you want to know why God does it this way? Because if I was God, we'd be in trouble. But... um, a lot of Cowboys championships there. But um, if I was God, that's such a cheesy, just, just laugh at that, thank you. If I was God, I would say, okay, you did this once, good, you're fixed. But here, here's the truth. God's ultimate goal is not for you to stop being greedy. His ultimate goal is not for you to stop doing sins. His ultimate goal is relationship with you. Hear this church. God wants you. Not some version you're trying to project to us. God wants you. He wants the gross parts. He wants the hurt parts. The other day, I was praying for our church, and I was going through each of your faces. And I was just so aware of the burdens in everybody's lives. And hurt is real. We have all been sinned against. Every person in this room has been punched. We're all hurting. I beg of you, don't hide the hurt. Bring it to God. Bring it to a friend that God appoints, right? The pain lives in silence. You have been set free, but we're only set free if we drag the hurt, if we drag the sin, if we drag the stuff into the light. So that's our next step today. No acrostics, no alliteration. I apologize for that. Here's my prayer, that we meet with Jesus and seek what he wants from us and for us to truly meet with Jesus and say, God, whatever you want. When we meet with Jesus, as we see with our friend Zacchaeus, our hands open up. Our hearts open up. Our lives open up for whatever God wants to do. I was reading Acts 1 this morning. You know what, let's go there. I got time. I'm going fast. Acts 1, please. So this is the account right when the church uh, was starting and it's kind of Jesus' last moments with them. And he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And they have questions. Okay, Jesus, you see this here um, in verse uh, 6. They asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel like right now? Are we going to do that? Are we going to fix things right now? He says, guys, that's not your problem. Do not worry about that. And then in verse 9, he ascends to heaven. Imagine that Jesus ascends to heaven. You're sitting there on a Friday and he ascends to heaven. And these followers hear this. 
they saw the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension. And look at the response here in verse 14. They had questions. When are you going to fix this? Remember, Peter was denying Jesus, right? All these things, verse 14, they were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Friends, when we meet Jesus, nothing else matters. Like it makes the essential things very clear. They had questions, they had doubted, they had denied, but when they finally got it and they saw Jesus, they united in prayer. Can you imagine if the however many adults are in here and students in here truly met with Jesus? I heard some folks complaining about these revivals saying, well, well, they need to go do this and go do that. They need to care for the poor. They need to share the gospel. They need to do this and do that. Well, how do you think those things start? They start by us, the people of God, meeting with our hope, meeting with him. And from there we go. Too many times the church has said this, no, we're going to start with our plans, with the task. And we're going to go out and we're going to be good soldiers for Christ. And we fall on our faces. But what if the church... Kids, teenagers, adults, single, married, young, old, bald, whatever. What if the church met with Jesus? And as we meet with Jesus, our hands go from like this to like this. And our hearts go from like this to just bursting through the seams. Because here's the really exciting part. The creator of the universe has given you passions and gifts and talents that he's only given you. That as you meet with him, the key is unlocked. And the kingdom of God breaks through your life. And there's babies that are adopted. There is homeless that are sheltered. There's neighbors who hear hope. My friend Emily, I'm gonna brag on you. She shared two weeks ago about her friend she shared the faith with who wants to know Jesus. Well, a friend of hers now wants to know Jesus. And it's because Emily, my friend, met with God and God said, Emily, gotta go. Right there, you gotta go. And she's experienced this great joy, I'm sorry, Emily, um, from obeying what God has called her to do. What if there was hundreds of stories of God doing that kind of thing, church. That's what I want to be a part of, God's kingdom here on earth. What got me in a ministry is Acts 2, right? Acts 2, where they gathered together day by day and they had everything in common and they worshiped God freely and God added to them and multiplied what they were doing. That is the prayer the hope, the vision. So let's meet with Jesus today. We're gonna sing songs. We're gonna take communion. It's this tangible reminder of the impossible work that Christ did. That as we partake in this, it's by faith. Saying that his body was broken for me, his blood was shed for me, and now I'm free. I'm free to love. I'm forgiven. It's this reminder of what God has done for us. Before we take, can we together seek God like children today? Maybe on our knees, 
maybe in the back with our prayer team, maybe someone in this room you need to pray with or just by yourself. But can we just, God, not with professional faith today, but with childlike and desperate faith? Because I'm going to tell you something lovingly. You need, you should be desperate. Your need is not partial. Your need is whole. And we must come to him desperate to experience this supernatural and possible joy. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. And Father, I ask you to just just draw us near to you. And give us that childlike, kind of embarrassing faith today, Father, that just comes to you with everything. Father, we ask that you burst the bubble. Father, would you prevent a spirit of shame today? that you're not a father who is frustrated or ashamed of us. You're a father who loves us and you want more for us. And let your kindness lead us to repentance to more of you today. So Father, do only what you can do today. Let's respond with childlike faith. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. The band's coming on stage. Our Communion servers are coming to serve. Now, this communion is really for the, the body of Christ. If you are in a place where you're still kind of questioning who God is, that, that's fine. But this is for the church, the body of Christ. You don't have to be a member of our church to do this. Be a member of God's church. So, but before you come, meet with God. Talk to him. Come when you're ready.